Once Upon a Time, Season 4, Episode 13 is over, but we are just getting started here on Once Upon a Recap. Hello, all you magical people out there. My name is Mike Bloom, one of the co-hosts of Once Upon a Recap, and this week we're in for a, a bit of a change in a variety of ways. The foremost being that Kurt Clark is uh, is not with us for the week. He has taken a mysterious door somewhere and is wound up in Europe. So while he's finding his way back to the mainland of North America, we brought in a, a substitute co-host, uh, what I would certify as a, a genuine once upon a time expert. Uh, please welcome back to the podcast, Mr. Brent Wolgamot. Brent, how you doing? Hello, Mike. It's nice to talk with you again. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, we're we're thrilled to have you, especially in an episode where uh, a lot of secrets were at play. A lot of secrets came out. There are still some secrets hidden, but uh, there, there, there's a lot to unpack here. It, it might not have been the most uh, eventful episode story-wise, but there was still a lot to unpack. Right. I think that they did a lot of treading water over the same subject, but they really harped on that subject big time, which is sort of where I wanted to start, if that's okay with you. Yeah. So I know you, before we came online here, you said you wanted to start off uh, in a bit of an orthodox fashion, but all allowed in this case, uh, to start off with um, Mary Margaret's monologue at the very end, which is kind of uh, her monologue to Regina about why Regina should infiltrate this the Queen of Darkness and why she wants to, you know, carry out the scheme to bring them down. And it's accompanied by several images that I'm sure we'll talk about at some point later on at the end. But I'm sure you want to focus right now on the content of the speech itself. So, Brent, I'm going to I'm going to l- lend the floor to you for a little bit if you want to if you want to talk as much as you want about this speech. Well, I mean, it's not that I wanted to uh, do it in an orthodox fashion. It's simply because of the fact that uh, this entire monologue and conversation that she that Snow has with Regina um, is reflected in the all of the events of the episode, in my opinion, because we know from the last episode that David and Mary Margaret. I'm sorry, their names go back and forth for me. Oh, no, I I understand. I have I have because the names are shorter i go with snow and david which doesn't make any sense canonically but those are the two shortest names to take notes on snow and david are great because i think david is his real name actually and snow is her real name so we'll go with that snow and david so we know that snow and david have a secret and it's a pretty big secret but what we didn't know going into this episode was you know what is the secret and how big is it because you know once can be a little dramatic sometimes and they can play up things that in in the grand scope of things aren't that big of a deal but uh Uh, Snow talks with Regina and she says, Emma was born with the potential for great darkness because David and I went to extraordinary lengths to make sure of it. And then Regina asks, if you ensured her goodness, why don't you just tell her? And Snow says, the same reason you don't want Henry to hear about the terrible things you did in your past. You want to protect him so he doesn't lose faith in the person you've become, the person he always believed you could be. That's why Emma can never find out what I'm about to tell you. She's finally starting to open up her heart. And if she learns the truth, if we let her down, she'll lose faith in us. And it could send her tumbling down a dark path. Because when you betray the people you love, when you make them see the worst parts of you, what you've done changes everything. There's no going back. You've shattered the bonds you've worked so hard to forge. And the stronger those bonds once were, the more difficult they are to put back together if they can be repaired at all. So this is the thing. This is what's called in my grandpa's uh, parlance, writing a check that I don't know that once can cash. (laughs) Because 
this is a pretty big deal for her to go to these measures, her and David both to go to these measures. You see at the beginning, David's drinking, they're lying to Emma, they're lying to other people, they're conspiring together. And these are, this is so out of character for them. So whatever they've done, it has to be big. It cannot be, well, we were doing the right thing. And because of that, Maleficent lost her child. Or because of something we couldn't do for her, this bad thing happened. It has to be an active uh, movement or action on their part. Because I feel like if it isn't that, it's going to be a big letdown, don't you think? Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. Um, and I'm sure this this will connect back to like the was the tree of wisdom or the tree of virtue or whatever it was about you know how only two virtuous people were able to gain access to the tree. And, and one can argue, you know, they say you know Emma Emma was the reason why Snow and David couldn't get information from the tree of wisdom but i could i could also argue that like their characters are not as much as they claim themselves to be the heroes they are not the most noble people in the kingdom i'll again point to the fact that even in the modern timeline uh snow white has killed a person at this point she has actively pursued murder with intent of cora and that is that is not a very heroic thing to do and that's something that i was going to going to enjoy about the second half storyline are uh the the grays that kind of come with being heroes and villains but I can agree with you to a certain extent that um, that it does really seem like Snow and David, from what she, the context is of her speech, that they must have done something insanely evil to to. Well, oh, I could go ahead. They 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 might not have, but the show is making like I said, it's, yeah, it's exactly. a check at this point that it has to be able to cash. So in order for this to be true, in order for them to take these actions and to behave this badly, and they are behaving badly and so out of character to lie to Emma, uh, it's just you know Mary Margaret even said that uh, she's already lied to Emma more times than she has in her entire life. So uh, it's uh, it's so out of character for them to do this. I really feel like they have to come up with something, the writers, that being, have to come up with something that uh, really gives us the payoff as the fans. Yeah, but but still be family-friendly enough for an ABC show. Because I can, in my twisted brain, I could probably think of at least 10 things that they would do to her to warrant this, but they're kind of sick and twisted, honestly. <laughs> Right. I will say that once took a, you know, a, a, a tiptoe into the water of uh, unfriendliness when you heard David curse. I don't remember the last time that I have heard uh, once upon a time curse. I think at the beginning he said, uh, all that matters is we get them the hell out of this town before anybody else learns of what we did. And I was like, who is this guy? <laughs> yeah, to be fair, it's a lot better than if he said, they got to get the dad gurn heck out of this town. <laughs> well, anyway, I'm sorry I wanted to start at the end, but no, it was no. like, it's, the, the whole episode is about this monologue, in essence. And I feel like really the back half of the season is about this monologue. It's about the bonds that we forge with people. And if we let them down, if we show them the worst parts of ourselves, it, it might be really hard to put those bonds back together. Yeah, and uh, I think we're, we're seeing that carry out in a variety of ways. I mean, uh, I don't want to dive into it too much, but I feel like we're witnessing a, a small disintegration of the relationship between Emma and her parents, which I think they touched upon a little bit in season two once, once everyone got their memory back. But they didn't really go back to that, a little bit of the beginning of season three, but they didn't go back to that territory 
much. Uh, and then on the other hand, you have Rumple and Bell, and there's a there's a new wrinkle in that that I'll, I'm sure we'll want to talk about. But let's let's not bury the lead too much here. Uh, let's let's try to start from the beginning as much as we can. Now, Brent, I'll, I'll give you a choice. Do we want to talk about the main storyline first with uh, Snow and Charming and the Queens of Darkness, or do we want to get the flashback stuff out of the way? Let's get the flashback stuff out of the way. Then let's talk about the uh, the present day. Okay, so let's let's talk a little bit about this. I, I'll put secret in quotes because we we found we kind of found out we found out like the the pertain, pertinent details to the secret, but as you said before, we haven't really found out what the actual action of the secret is. We don't exactly know how Snow and Charming have led to Maleficent not having a child. We just know that she's having a child. Snow's having a child, and then then Snow later tells Regina that that they're responsible. But uh, they're so they, as you said, they've been they've been treading the waters a little bit. I don't know. Uh, overall, before we, we dive in here, Brent, what did you think about this flashback? Pertinent, uh, fluff, somewhere in between. Well, I think it was. I agree with you. It was mostly fluff. Um, I would like to point out in the timeline of things, this is after the events of uh, the episode, The New Neverland, where Snow and Charming uh, race off to the Summer Palace for their honeymoon. They know Regina's going to cast a curse. She's already threatened them at their wedding. Uh, At this point in the timeline, Snow has already defeated Medusa, and they're coming back from their honeymoon. So that's where they are in the timeline. I know it gets a little funky with the timey-wimey stuff, but uh, that's where they are at this point. So this is after, right after the the much-maligned King Arthur Sword in the Stone uh, flashback storyline? Oh, now that one... Was that season two? I'm trying to remember... Well, that was definitely season two, but I mean, the, the, like I said, the episode that this is after that, I, the only thing that I can recall to, to place this in a timeline is it's definitely after Snow faced Medusa and David was turned to stone for about two minutes. Um, and she wanted to get, she wanted to stop Regina at any cost by cutting off Medusa's head and sending it to Regina. That's what, that's what her plan was. Um, and then that, now they're coming in. She, the reason I know that is because Snow said the Summer Palace was great, but it's really time that we get back to the kingdom. And they were at the Summer Palace when they were facing Medusa. All right. So, so they come back to their honeymoon and it's a, a perfect housewarming gift is finding your entire court and village like knocked out. Uh, and these three queens of darkness standing before them. Now, Brent, obviously you, you haven't been on in a while. I'd love to get your opinion briefly on what, what you think about the queens of darkness and whether you think Cruella sticks out like a, sto- a sore thumb. I don't think she sticks out as much as some. I've heard you and uh, and uh, Kurt last week. Uh, I think both of you had the same opinion that uh, Cruella was the one that didn't belong. I feel like she does belong. I really enjoy her. In fact, I'm really glad she's there. I have to tell you because Ursula, you know, God love her, but sh- she's bland at this point. I, How I don't dare think- you, Brent. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Cruella is the one who gets all the good lines. She gets the gags. She she has some of the lighter moments. Um, she's someone who you can sort of, you know, you, you don't really root against as a villain. You're like, oh, that old, you know, that, that crazy Cruella, you know. <laughs> so so uh, uh, I, uh, I really do enjoy Cruella. And I don't feel like she's that out of place now that she has a power. I don't know exactly how useful it's going to be in Storybrooke, given that there are no animals around, yeah. save for uh, Archie's dog. Uh, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. Well, you know, we, we've seen characters before in Storybrooke that were once people. I think uh, Gus, the, Gus the Mouse, who turned into the mechanic that got murdered, was one of them. So maybe she could communicate with those that were once animals as well. And then maybe right. they, they cast that a little bit wider. I guess we don't even know at this point what her powers are limited to. Yes, we know that she can control 
animals. I hesitate to say that the, uh, uh, the insects from last week were animals, but, uh, she, she may be able to do something else. Uh, she has powers of persuasion. So, uh, you know, ones can be uh, a little, uh, funky with their, uh, magic and what people can and can't do. Uh, you know, Regina seemingly can do anything at some points and nothing at other points. Uh, so, uh, we'll see what, uh, Cruella can uh, accomplish with her powers. Yeah, so and you would think that if she really had these powers of persuasion and, and they apply to everyone, both anim- man and animal, that Maleficent would kind of use her in this scene where the Queens of Darkness approach them and say, basically, uh, we need you to go to this tree of... Uh, listen, M- Regina has stolen this curse from me, and so I guess in the timeline it's also the post-second uh, like second episode ever storyline where Regina steals the curse from Maleficent. Um, and they want to they know the only way to stop her is to go to the tree of wisdom and ask, ask it how, but only the most virtuous can get through. And so a valor valiant, I'll say valiant, not virtuous. Yes. There has to be two heroes. That's the thing that's important. So that's why they need both of them at this point. I wanted to point out something really quickly. And, and, you know, as I remember guest hosting uh, last uh, in the, in the first half of the season and I screwed up the uh, Queens of Queen of Hearts and there was another Queen of Hearts and I screwed it up. So I know how easy it is to screw up something in once upon a time. I listened to your podcast last week and I just wanted to make clear about the dark curse and where it came from. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Because I know well, I, I theorized last week that the Dark Curse was the thing that, uh, that they were hunting for on Bald Mountain. Right. Now, and I do believe that the Dark Curse that they got on Bald Mountain is the same Dark Curse that Rumpel eventually uses to, uh, to get to our world that he has Regina to use to get to our world. The thing that Rumpel does, though, is he puts a drop of... Uh, true love of uh, from Charmian and Snow on the, the curse to make sure that there's a safety valve in it. And he eventually, and this is the part we don't know, he eventually gives it to Regina or she comes, she comes into possession of it. But at some point she trades the dark, Regina trades the dark curse to Maleficent for the sleeping curse. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they, they made a deal. So Maleficent has the dark curse now. But then, of course, we saw in episode two, Regina says, well, I really don't care about that deal I made. She goes back to Maleficent, breaks her deal with her because she says the sleeping curse didn't work and was undone by a simple kiss. And she steals the dark curse back. So that's how all of that came to be. I, I, I love it. I love how convoluted these things get. It's, right, right. it's fantastic. It's like tracking the lineage of all the dwarves in the Lord of the Rings series. Right. So, so the three of these uh, queens, they want to make a deal with Snow and Charmaine to, uh, to stop Regina and uh, the thing that I find interesting about this is that Snow and Charmaine feel like they know that it's a bad idea to work with these three, but they feel like they have no choice. Yeah, and I think David is the one that specifically outlines that because, I mean, the, the last thing they saw before they went off to their honeymoon was Regina telling them, I'm going to lay a curse that lays this whole place to waste. So I think the the direness of the situation allows them to kind of take any port in a storm and say, okay, there's, there's a way we can stop this. Great. I guess to, we, show me where the tree of wisdom is. Right. Exactly. I agree with you. So, uh, so there, you know, the, the guards are not letting them go, which is interesting to me that, uh, despite it being, you know, the, the current, uh, I think she's still the princess at this point, or is she the yeah she's the princess, um, and her husband. I, uh, I think they're the king and queen at this point. Are they? Yeah, I, I guess if yeah. I, I guess if Regina fled and the 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 husband had died, then yeah, I guess so. Yeah, because they're married and uh, they were there with all their subjects, and yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that I'm pretty sure that they're 
uh, your majesty at this point. So theoretically, if the two most powerful people in the kingdom came up to you as a guard, Brent, and said, okay, uh, I know I have these three shady characters with me, but I'm good to go. Let me leave. <laughs> would, would, you, would, you, would you stop them or would you let them pass? I would not let them pass. I would say, girl, you're keeping bad company. Look who's behind you. Oh, you must not value your head, sir. This is the most powerful people in the kingdom, and they're, you're disobeying their orders. I love it that Snow and Charming just accept their answer. Like, well, we've got to find a way around. <laughs> yeah, can't go under it. We might <laughs> got to go through it. Uh, but Maleficent has a different idea. She does. Uh, so yeah. she's just gonna she's just gonna transform away into a dragon, and uh, I'm pretty sure she killed the guards. Is that's what we're to assume, right? She just oh, broiled, yeah. she broiled them alive. Fried them totally. Yes. Yeah, and I love how like so a charming are like, well, we didn't have to do that. <laughs> well, and they were taken aback. I mean, they were. I mean, and I'm like, well, you shouldn't have been. You know who you're working with at this point. But they were taken aback, saying, you know, you should have let us talk with them. One more time. And, you know, Maleficent asks them, you know, is there a problem? I thought not. And then they walk forward and Regina, I'm sorry, Regina, Snow and David, to Charming, are looking at the three of them like, what have we done? You know, what what have we wrought by working with these well, two? If you dance with the devil, you're going to get burned. Going to get burned. Uh, so they go to they go to sleep. Uh, I'm not sure where they got those those like pop tents. Those are those were cool tents. I want to stay in some of those tents. They look very comfortable. Right, and I love it that the queens of darkness are ready to go in their full garb at this point at what eight o'clock in the morning. Yeah, they're they're they want to they figured they'd uh, get an early start on the day, but it appears that Snow and Charming got the earlier start. They just took off without them. Uh, so they get to the Tree of Wisdom, which I mean. Brent, uh, I'm a little dismayed that they called it the Tree of Wisdom because they could have had a perfect Animal Kingdom from Disney World tie-in by calling it the Tree of Life and having it decorated with various carvings of animals, but they neglected not to. Yeah, I, this is it's, it's another uh, MacGuffin that you know, everybody's looking for. Oh, this, this thing can help us. It's the solution to all of our problems. And of course, it's not. And I, I'm no biblical expert, but it was was it was it not the tree of no it's the tree of knowledge that that Eve got tempted by right, right. the tree okay. of knowledge yes I was afraid I'll, that they been th- a tree of wisdom uh, boy my dad's a preacher I'm so <laughs> I'm so screwed because I don't know what the answer is to you, this you, you son of a preacher man yes <laughs> yes you were yes you were yes you were um but. I, I, I would think for I was so I was thinking for a second in my split second uh, biblical knowledge that I was like, oh, are they just going to bring Bible stories now into Once Upon a Time, which would definitely be a very uh, left left uh, left turn into this territory. But unfortunately not. It's the Tree of Wisdom. Uh, but they fit their hands into the handprints and they ask, you know, how do we get rid of the queen's curse? But the tree is not happy. It glows red then I think yellow and just blast them away with uh, energy and, and co- the Queens of Darkness catch up and Maleficent kind of quips that, oh, I guess we're you guys aren't as val- uh, as valiant as we once thought. Right. I love it that Cruella asks her, maybe you got the rules wrong, darling. <laughs> <laughs> so then the Maleficent says, no, 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 this should have worked. We, you know, why did the tree knock them back? And she looks at Snow and she figures it out. She said, how could I have not seen it earlier? The way you're glowing, you were just on your honeymoon, you're with child. And that's <laughs> to mention you just had a baby outside of the show. <laughs> yes, exactly. Right. That's why the tree knocked you back because you're with child. I love it that there are five people standing there listening to this. Two of them are thrilled with the fact that they're going to have a child. Three of them are ticked off about it because it's messing up their plans. And uh, the thing that Maleficent says to them, you know, your child is the product of true love. And with that true love comes the power, uh, great power and the potential for enormous goodness. 
goodness, but also the potential for great darkness, the darkest that this realm has ever seen. And I love it that that is enough to shake Snow to her core. She is absolutely um, dismayed that uh, this is a possibility for her child. Yeah, well, wouldn't you hate to be the parent of like the world's darkest person? Do you think, do you think Adolf Hitler's parents are happy? Right, exactly. I mean, I get it, I get it. I, and, and this is what sets Snow on what obviously will be her path for the next uh, few fairybacks, uh, where we find out what they did and what choices they made. And of course, there's the ending scene where she, you know, dismisses uh, Maleficent and says, no, I'm not going to work with you. Um, she is determined to uphold their virtuous ways. She's going to be a hero. Her child's going to be a hero. And that's all there is to it. So I wanted to actually talk to you for a second about this idea, Brent, because it was brought up last week as well. We actually have a, a question from the great Ariel Kalish Glassman uh, about how, you know, the show seems to be going to great lengths to make us think that Emma is going to be... Uh, has the propensity for evil or the, you know, the potential for evil and might possibly become evil this half season. Uh, but what, considering the track record of what Emma has done previously in the show, that, that kind of seems a little contradictory to what she's being set up to do. Do you, do you agree with that? Or do you think Emma has been showing the potential for evil previously in this show? No, I, I, I totally concur that this is a problem. This is what I was talking about. I didn't want to drone on too long about it because I already felt like I was getting you off track. But this is the other part of the check that I worry that they can't cash. Emma has shown nothing up until this point except light and goodness. Absolutely nothing. She is the savior. She is the product of true love. She is so powerful that even Zelina, someone who was way more powerful than Regina, was absolutely terrified of Emma. For three and a half seasons, Emma has been the whitest, uh, purest being in Storybook, the one that everyone looks to. There has been nothing in her track record to indicate that she might be a ticking time bomb, which is what they're making her out to be at this point. So I am worried for once, uh, the universe of once and the creators of once, that they are treating Emma like a time bomb when there's nothing in her past to indicate that she might blow up. Um, they, obviously, they're trying to retcon it a little bit by the fact, well, this is what Maleficent told Snow, and this is why Snow and Charmaine have been uh, making sure she's this good because they're worried about her going bad. But there, I can't even think of one offhand comment that Emma has made that would indicate a uh, an evil streak in her. Can you? No, I mean, she was kind of bratty for a little bit on Neverland, but that's all I can really think of. Yeah, a little bit bratty, but there, there is no evil in Emma. So uh, there, there has to be some, uh, let me put it this way. S Snow and David are lying to Emma. So there has to be some payoff in that, in that they have to keep this lie going for a certain amount of time. Emma has to believe them and she has to be absolutely crushed because otherwise there's no reason for her to become evil at this point. And we don't even know that she's going to become evil, but everyone obviously thinks that there's a propensity that she has a propensity to turn evil. So it seems like there has to be some buildup and some payoff and some consequences before Emma can have anything evil happen to her. Yeah. And I'm, 
I don't know. I'm 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 also starting to wonder. I don't want to to compare this too much to extraneous things, but like it reminds me a little bit of like the movie Spider Man Three, which I don't know if you saw Brent, but like uh, t- Spider Man was like seemed to be almost infected by this like uh, you know uh, extra orbital uh, virus or like a, an organism that made him into this. Uh, horrifically can't be emo spider-man but that's besides the point but like that exp- that made him evil so i'm wondering if the the idea of the potential for evil is just the thought that like emma's heart is open to the idea of evil and it allows the like cr- the queens of darkness to just kind of seep in and infiltrate it so instead of emma going out and doing independently evil things it's more of like oh you're susceptible to us influencing you well i hope it's i don't know I sh- i'm not really sure what i hope it is I, I'm, I'm sort of torn <laughs> I mean, mainly because I feel like when it's something magical uh, or it's something that other people are causing, I feel like it's less authentic than if it just happens to end to Emma independently. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I don't, I don't think there would be as much emotional payoff if the Queens of Darkness or Rumpelstiltskin were the ones who were influencing Emma by way of persuasion or uh, magic or something. Um, I feel like it, it, it In fact, I've made my decision. I really feel like it has to come from Emma somewhat independently. Otherwise, I don't feel like she can own it. Well, if she ends up, I don't know, uh, stabbing Archie, then well, I guess I guess that'll be your thing, Brent. <laughs> well, I, or some other red shirt that they have in the background. Yeah, exactly. Well, we got to see Ge- we got to see Geppetto this episode, so I'm surprised that red shirt came out. Right, right, right. Uh, so just finishing up the, the flashback stuff uh, briefly. So Maleficent shows up to Snow's bedroom in the middle of the night and David is once again knocked out. Maleficent loves to to just put sleeping spells on everyone she sees. And uh, she kind of confides in Snow her secret that she's pregnant as well and kind of makes a, a side deal with Snow White that, you know, we need to work together to stop this curse so that we can save our children together. But Snow right there flat out refuses to work with her saying, you know, I don't want to become someone like Maleficent and I want my child to be a hero. And this kind of goes back to what we're saying, but it's interesting to me that, you know, I think this is definitely throws a wrinkle into the storyline and what we expected of Maleficent. And I think we see an image of her in the end where she's put together like a rattle that was presumably for her child. And you see her get very, very emotional. So I'm excited about this prospect. I think it has some nice characterization to Maleficent that I did not expect to see in this arc. Right. Um, I think this, the thing that, that really struck me in this conversation was Snow saying to Maleficent, Charming and I will win and we'll do it by upholding our character along the way. And Maleficent looks at her like, you've got to be nuts. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, and I just want to put this in really quick. Can I just echo Ursula at this point and say about Maleficent and Kristen Bauer von Straten in particular, I forgot how much I missed her. <laughs> I agree. And I, I think it's maybe I got spoiled from, I don't know if you watched True Blood, True oh, Blood Brand. But, yes, we but, love Pam. Yeah, she, Pam. Pam, Pam kills it every single time. And I love Kristen Bauer Van Storten's delivery of everything she does, how just dry it is. It's even drier than Cruella, which you would think like the Brits are the, the masters of dry wit, but she just, she paints it on and then she takes a hairdryer and just dries it all off. And I, I absolutely love that because it's also has a, like a deliciously evil stint to it at the very, at the end of every sentence she says. Right. Uh, she is uh, able to pack her delivery with such emotion and such wit. And uh, it, it, it's, 
boy, it really contrasts uh, with Ursula, who, you know, I love the actress who plays her, but she's not giving me much at this point. I guess I'll hold judgment. I will I'll withhold judgment until we get to her episode, which I think is coming up either next week or the week after Poor Unfortunate Souls, which I know has to be about her. Yeah. Um, and we'll see what, what, what she can give us at that point. But I'm not, I'm not loving what I'm getting from her at this point. So we'll, we'll see with that. And there's also a connection that was made this episode that I'm sure we'll, we'll give her more to work with that we'll talk about soon. But let's jump into Modern Day Storybook. Uh, and uh, we start the episode off with the, the best story device ever, a dream sequence. Right. And I knew I just I even posted this last week. I can't remember if I posted it on uh, Rob has uh, a patron boards or if I posted it on EW or some other place. But I knew that this was a dream sequence because they showed it in the promo. If this was like the end of the episode where Maleficent stole her baby, they're not going to give it away in the promo. So I knew going into this, this was a total dream. It's just her dreaming. So don't fear anybody. Yeah. Exactly, and it, so it was. It was. Uh, it was nice to look inside their psyches a little, into Snow's psyche a little bit. But I agree. I think it was pretty obvious from the outset, especially when they uh, appear in the in the bedroom of like they wouldn't start an episode off like this. And it turns out that yes, both Snow and Charming have kind of been kept awake, being plagued by Corella and Ursula existing in Storybrooke. And we get we get a nice little uh, Lost reference, Brent, for the second week in a row. Uh, David is housing some McCutcheon whiskey. Yes, I noticed that. <laughs> Drinking. It, it, it appears it's appeared multiple times uh in the once upon a time universe and i'm glad that in the most dire of circumstances our our valiant heroes can turn to the bottom of a bottle oh, i i liked i liked it as well <laughs> so uh so they're they're very adamant about you know no matter what we just need to get them as as david put uh so uh, not cleanly at all get the hell out of town uh, so anybody else finds out about what we did exactly yeah so uh we we cut to grannies and uh it's clear that Corella and ursula have not uh gotten accustomed to the town as of late or at least the the town citizens have not gotten accustomed to them as you know granny just refuses to serve them and will scarlet is uh breezes on by and is able to to lap them and pick up his order beforehand right and he picks up two that's your clue which, by the way, I don't want to talk about it yet, but that thing came out of left field, honey. I did not see that coming. Nobody did. I would, I would say that's, that was probably the bigger bombshell than, oh, the, than totally. the secret. Totally. Yes. Like, where did that come from? Huh? Like, <laughs> oh, my God. Well, we'll have a lot to say about that. But uh, for now, we get a nice little scene that also tie, will tie into uh, what's talked about at the end of this episode where Regina kind of walks in and is stopped by the Queens of Darkness and they kind of, I don't want to say taunt her, but kind of regale her with her past. And Regina sends Henry away and tells them, you know, don't, you cannot talk about my past in front of my son. I do not want him to experience that. Because as we know, once, once Henry found out that she was the evil queen, and that was a, that was a bridge that took a long time to rebuild that trust. Yes. Uh, so, um, that Regina says to them, you know, if you bring up my past misdeeds again, you'll be out across You'll be out across the town line faster than you can say costume jewelry. And Cruella, these are blood diamonds. I'll have you know. <laughs> oh, that does not. That makes it so much worse, Cruella. So much worse. More Cruella. I can. I can only imagine that. Like it's not. It's not like regular miners that are working for the blood diamonds. But Cruella insists that it's dogs working in those mines. Yes. And by the way, I just want to say Jessica Frey. Also, she's with me on this. More Cruella, less Ursula. I'd say more Cruella if uh, if they take a tweezer to her eyebrows. 
Well, at this point, she could have her own show. I would watch. I would watch her read the phone book. Guys. Would you? Would you watch The Real Housewives of Long Island, starring Cruella Feinberg? Oh my gosh! And I love it. You know, my partner's Jewish. I love the fact that they named her Cruella Feinberg. My partner was absolutely dying watching. I'm like, they could. They couldn't pick a more Jewish name for her than Feinberg. Come on. Uh, just add a add an Owitz at the end of it. Yeah, Feinberg exactly. Owitz, and I think that would have that would have put the, the the icing on top of the kugel. Right. Uh, so I love it at this point that David and Mary Margaret are sitting there and they're like, they're up to something. We know they're up to something. So they tell Regina, uh, but we're Regina, what are you going to do here? We know that, you know, why, first of all, why did we let these people into town? But beyond, beyond that, they're, they're up to something and we have to go find out what. And Regina's like, look, I've got uh, better things to do. I'm looking for this author. And that sounds like a job for the sheriff. Q, Emma and Hook walking past Ursula and Cruella. Yep, and there's that there's that one that one moment where like they have a really weird uh, exchange of words, and it's clear that Hook and Ursula know each other. And this brings up a, a question once again uh, from I believe it's from Ariel. From Ariel the Mermaid. Yes, from Ariel the Mermaid. She yes. wants to know personally what the connection between Hook and Ursula is. I'd assume that Ariel would know, but you know she might have lost her memory at some point. So let's let's do a little bit of theorizing here, Brent. What do we think the possible connection between Hook and Ursula might be? We can we can even just start out with general blanket statements. Well, um, I I think here's the thing. I, I read something from a producer. It's not spoilerish, but he did say that. It, it goes beyond breaking her heart. It's worse than that. So it has to, it, I don't think it's something romantic. I think it's something where he, he, maybe he was friends with her. Maybe they worked together for a common cause and he betrayed her. Maybe she believed in him at some point. Uh, maybe they were after the same MacGuffin, whatever they're going after and whatever fairy back they're in. And um, he used her to get whatever he was after and used his charm along the way. Uh, I don't know, but uh, I'm open to your ideas. Yeah, I would. I would say I. Th- I would say that they work together because I mean, Hook is able to do the cover on land, and Ursula's be able able to take care of things underwater. So maybe they were like a a crime team almost, and then they they went. Maybe they went after this one big MacGuffin, and Hook took it and betrayed Ursula and never gave it back because that that seemed very much in line with old school Hook of like not caring about anyone at any any point in time so that's that's my best guess i know it's a boring guess but it's my best guess as to what their relationship might be knowing the way uh these shows answer questions like the episode after i won't be surprised if we we'll probably see it in poor unfortunate souls but i won't be surprised if we see some sort of hit to it next week Right. Uh, I, I had a, I had something I wanted to say. What, what, what were you just saying? I was sorry. I was thinking about something in my notes. Uh, I was just talking about how I, I thought that <laughs> <laughs> we might have to edit this part out. I screwed. No, I we're keep, we are keeping this in. You are paying for your insolence. Oh my gosh! What did you just say about the hook and? Uh, it was I was a, saying that, that they were they were possibly like a, a buddy. Oh, team. I remember. I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. I, though I wanted to put in at this point that um, I keep this is my word of the week of MacGuffin that I keep using, which I was reading Indiana Jones and I was reading about some other things. Uh, for those of people who don't know, MacGuffin is the thing in the movies that people are always after for no other reason. Uh, than the fact that they're after it. Everybody wants it, and it's, it doesn't even have to be particularly valuable, but whatever it is, if everybody's after it, that's the quote-unquote MacGuffin. That's what I wanted to tell you. Yeah, so um, so Corella and, and Ursula, they, they go to the pawn shop, and, and just like Granny Belle is not happy to see them to the point of where she's, she threatens to turn them into trolls. Uh, so, you know, as Ursula and Corella do a nice job of like keeping her occupied by kind of uh, exposing her emotional side and talking about like, oh man, uh, good for you for 
uh, forcing your husband over the town line after he betrayed you. But as they're doing that, Ursula's sneaking a tentacle around the corner and grabbing some sort of box. And this is fun because this is a, a MacGuffin that's not a MacGuffin at all. It's a fake guffin, if you will. Right. With the longest tentacle on record, I'll just say. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if these things are like Dr. Octopus's arms where they can just extend. I can't believe I made two Spider-Man references on, on the on podcast at one time. This is, oh my goodness. This is probably a new record. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so Ursula, they're able to, to stick it out. And Corella texts Gold, we got it. Uh, and yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I think we talked about this before, but I'm still kind of surprised that nobody in Storybrooke has, up, has upgraded to like iPhones or tablets or anything like that, that Gold's still using a, a flip phone to receive texts. Right, and I, but I did uh, notice at this point when uh, Cruella turned around and said, I was looking for something, she pulls out her, it looks like a cell phone or a Blackberry, but it, it, whatever it is, it has a Dalmatian case on it, which I thought was hilarious. I bet you, I, I don't even want to know how that case was made. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm with you on that. But the blood diamonds. Yes. Uh, so... Uh, yeah, so Gold gets the text that, that you know, he's, we got it. And uh, so Gold is creates a pile of ashes. He's underground. I would assume that... So I, I we talked a little bit about the geography of the library slash bell tower. Uh, and that's where Maleficent resided, where, where we've seen her, where they've taken the elevator down to, like, the sub-basement. But I guess you could also get in through the mines. Is that is that uh, is that true in terms of geography? Uh, I have never seen anybody get under the library to where Maleficent uh, was kept uh, by way of the mines. I've seen people get into the mines other ways, but I don't know if those mines connect to this part of the mine. That's that's that part is unclear. Yeah, well, I think we need a, we need a mind map going on. There's a there's a variety of maps we need from the creators, but I think a mind map is definitely uh, the, the the number one with a bullet. Uh, but Emma and Emma and David are tailing the Queens of Darkness. Um, and, you know, Emma's a- a naturally asking them questions about why are we doing this? How do you know these people? What's going on? And, of course, David is being as generic as possible, saying, you know, oh, yeah, we met we met in the forest once. Um, right. And so they kind of tail them. Uh, and, you know, they're and I think while they're driving, Emma receives a call or a text or something from Belle saying that she believes that the Krill and Ursula stole a box from the pawn shop. Uh, and I guess that's probable cause, apparently, because they just pull them right over. Right, exactly. But Belle doesn't even know what was in the box. She just notices it's apparently missing. I find it hard to believe, although I give them a pass on this. I find it hard to believe that Belle would actually notice that that box was missing from amongst that pile of junk back there. I mean, I know it's not junk, but it looks like junk to me. I would, I would say the only two characters that I would give a pass for that would be Belle and Gold. I mean, Belle uh, only became a series regular, like, last season. So you'd, you'd assume that, like, all those episodes where she wasn't seen, she was in the pawn shop the entire time. So she probably has that place memorized. Right, right. I, I can go with you on this. So as David is, uh, is searching the car, he finds uh, a secret compartment that has... Some sort of object in it. It's it's a it's a little sphere, and I I first thought that was another MacGuffin, but it turns out again to be part of the rattle for Maleficent's, Maleficent's presumed child, uh, which makes it makes it all the more sad. Um, and you know, David once again s- continuing to spin his web of lies says that oh, there's a there 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 is nothing there. You guys are you guys are good to go, um, and. You know, Emma asks him if he's okay, and he, of course, again lies about it. And it turns out he's he's palmed the object, I guess, to show Mary Mary Margaret later as proof that they're up to something. 
Right. Apparently Emma's lie detector does not work with her parents because Snow and David are lying throughout this entire episode. Not only lying, they are lying badly, Mike. And she does not, she does not get with it. She doesn't understand that they're lying. She even gives them a pass at the end. She, she knows the hook is up to something that he's hiding something, but she can't see through the fact that her parents are lying to her. I have, I have problems with that. Yeah. Her, I, I have a feeling that Emma's quote unquote, like special power doesn't exist anymore in lieu of her getting actual magical powers. I think I, I would make a bold prediction and say we are done of the days of Emma being the, the foolproof lie detector. Right. If I never hear the word superpower again, I'll be okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, especially, you know, we, we, I think I'll put Mary Margaret and David's lying ability above Anna and Elsa's from last story arc concerning that they were horrible liars, but they're, these are pretty bad lies as well. Right. They're going hiking. They're all of a sudden done with this obsession that they've had for the past two to three days. Uh, I, you know, Please, it's just, uh, you know, please. <laughs> so I'm a little confused about this, Brent. So David shows the object to Mary Margaret, and he, he assumes that they're trying to revol- revive Maleficent. And so they make a plan to dump, like, everything in the harbor? Is that right? Just dump ev- all the objects associated with this plan into the harbor so they can't get to them? No, they want to go down to the library to get the ashes. They want to get the ashes because oh. David knows. Apparently, David's a little bit well-versed in, in dark magic than everybody else thought he is. He knows that without her remains, there is no way that Cruella and Ursula can resurrect Maleficent. Yeah, That's what sense. they need to get rid of. Okay, I don't know where I heard the harbor stuff then. <laughs> no, you're, no, you're right about the harbor stuff. David said, let's go down to the library. Without her remains, they will, they will not be able to resurrect Maleficent. We'll take the ashes and we'll dump them in the harbor. And that uh, was a burial breath. at sea. If, and if they know that they cannot resurrect Maleficent, maybe they'll leave town for good. And Snow says, and take our secret with them. That's what she says. Okay, so the, so the harbor does incorporate it in there, but yes. I mean that obviously never uh, comes to fruition, and never comes to fruition. And I mean, there. Uh, so David is uh, caught packing up the truck uh, by Emma, who. Uh, so I'll, I'll backtrack a little bit here. Uh, Emma was looking at uh, footage from the pawn shop to figure out if Cruella and Ursula actually had stolen something from there, like like Bella had surmised. And I don't know. Maybe maybe they took. A, technology jump too far now because now uh they're able to put the security camera footage on emma's phone so she can show it to her parents that was i I don't even know how to do that i'm not sure that too she apparently downloaded it onto her computer which looks like it's from like 1998 um and uh then was was able to put it on her phone after that i will say that you were right in that there there the only probable cause they have was was to pull them over was Bell's word. At this point, they didn't have the uh, security footage. And I, I'm, I, although I will say, I'm not surprised that Rumpel has a security camera outside of his shop. As as he should. Right. Uh, even though you know everyone in this town, like you might as well be vigilant. Well, and you might as well write your own death certificate if you're going to steal from gold. I mean, come on. That's yeah. that's very true as well. Uh, but so she's like, oh, great. You know, we can go after Ursula and Corella now. But they're like, ah, we don't care anymore. We got our own plan. We're going for a hike. Wink, wink. 
Yeah, I, I thought this whole scene was. Uh, they, you know, I'll give credit to the actors; they acted it uh, about as well as I think could be done. But uh, the writers needed to maybe t- t- take the editing brush to this one. <laughs> I was not buying what they were selling. <laughs> so David and Mary Margaret are able to make their way into the into the mines. This mystery uh, trail of the mines that that leads to where Maleficent was, and they they find her ashes. But as they do, Gold's there with Corella and Ursula, and he knocks them out uh and uh we we can actually get an interesting moment where gold asks the queens of darkness if bell asked about him and they kind of lie a little bit by saying no i don't think she asked about him i think they uh or maybe she did but they, they definitely talked about him but i don't know if she forthright says like oh so how's rumple how's he doing I think she did say, have, have you seen him? Actually, it's hard to pay attention because at this point in the story, you're watching Ursula's tentacle going around the corner. But she does say to them, so you've seen him because they said something about Rumpel. And then so that prompted her to say, so you've seen him. And they, and they said, oh, yes, he's, a, he's you know, terrible looking. You really did a number on him. You know, didn't you just love pushing him across the town line? You know, she's like, no, I would never take pleasure in somebody else's misery. The one thing that I thought that they were lying about, though, when Corella says to Rumpel, she's moved on, darling. I thought she was playing him, but apparently she's right. Yeah, that's weird. And I, I don't, I mean, I was, I'm assuming Belle didn't necessarily bring up to Corella and Ursula. Oh, by the way, I'm, I'm biffing Will Scarlet. I, I right, thought you should right, know right. that. I get that. But the fact that, like I said, I thought she was flat out lying to Rumpel just to needle him, but she's not lying to him. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. I, I guess it's a, a lie that turned out to be true unintentionally. Right, exactly. So, uh, Corella takes a knife and draws blood from Snow and Charming. And I think this is a nice parallel between uh, the Tree of Wisdom, which is like, you know, only the the most virtuous, uh, most, a- the most valiant get, get through. <laughs> and this one, it's like, oh, uh, the blood of those who wronged Maleficent the most are the only ones to revive her. So I think that's a, that's a nice, like, yin to the yang of... of um, of guidelines. <laughs> right. I'm okay with this yin to the yang, but I will say that if they were looking for the blood of someone who wronged Maleficent, I would put Regina and Emma at the top of that list. <laughs> Regina kept Maleficent trapped as a dragon underneath Storybrooke for 28 freaking years, and Emma killed her with a sword. So I don't really know what Snow and Charming did at this point that rises above uh, kidnapping for 28 years and murder. That check is just getting bigger and bigger. Getting bigger and bigger. Yes. <laughs> so the blood drips onto the pile of ashes, and we have we see Maleficent for the first time in Storybrooke. Right. Ever. And I will say, I want to give credit to the uh, creative effects team. I love the fact that she essentially went backwards from what we know of Maleficent. First, we saw her zombified form from uh, season two. And then we saw the dragon form from uh, season one. And then we saw the real Maleficent. I thought that was really well done. Yeah, and that's probably a farewell to both zombie Maleficent and dragon Maleficent. We might see zombie dragon Maleficent was wicked. Absolutely wicked. I that was, was And that, that was confusing because I know a lot of people are like, you know, when we brought up in previous podcasts that Maleficent wasn't technically dead, and people are like, wait, no, she's dead. We're like, no. She nope. remember she come, do we forget about zombie Maleficent? <laughs> right. Yeah, Regina cast a spell that trapped Maleficent's soul underneath the library. So that's where it was and that's why she's able to be revived. The thing that that's important here and that's important because in Storybrooke, when you're dead, you're dead. Unless you're not. <laughs> 
Yeah, but it's a very loose rules of death in, in, uh, in Once Upon a Time. Right. I, I think the soul has to be trapped and you have to have the remains. Those are the two things that must be in play. So then I wonder, you know, after I think it was Hook that killed Zombie Maleficent when trying to get the, the failsafe gem at the end of season two. Was is this pile of ashes the form that she had taken, you know, for seasons three and four up to this point? Um, if I'm being totally honest, I think that I mean, my best. First of all, they didn't show it. So my best guess would be uh, Tamara and Greg gave Hook or helped Hook somehow with the means to get away from zombie Maleficent. I think that, I think two things can, can coexist at the same time. I think zombie Maleficent, I think her soul can exist uh, underneath the library, sort of in the valley between those two cliffs, but her ashes from being vanquished as her physical form as the dragon can also exist on the side. Does that make sense? Yeah, so it's sort okay. of like the the physical and the metaphysical. Yeah, the soul and the body. The the soul is her zombified form. Her, her the her body is the pile of ashes that's uh, in front of the uh, mine. Okay, that that makes sense. I could definitely under. I mean, I I doubt that this will ever be talked about again. And I, I fear that this is the last we'll see of Dragon Maleficent. We might see some more in flashbacks, and maybe she comes out a little bit. But I feel like they're going to keep Maleficent in human form for as long as possible. Right. I think we'll see maybe dragon form a few more times. Um, there is, I think that maybe the next episode is enter the dragon. So I don't know if we'll, I don't know if that means Maleficent. It could mean something else. I thought it was going to be uh, coach Wade comes to visit. Oh, please, please. I thought, you know what I thought it was when it said enter the dragon. I thought it meant that, uh, that Chinese dragon that, uh, tomorrow. Yes, yes. That's when she had when she had found the dragon. Yes. Oh, yeah. That'd be a nice little uh, August flashback. And we yeah. had some August action tonight. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, with Maleficent revived, um, Snow tries to kind of fall on her sword and tells Maleficent, uh, you know, take hurt me. Don't hurt David. But Maleficent says, you know, I, I don't care. I want to make both your worlds crumble. And this, again, is we're writing this check bigger and bigger for these writers to cash. Maybe, maybe yes, maybe no. Um, and as they take off, Snow and David can only sit there and kind of lament about all the lying they've done to get this far. Right. And I love the fact that at this point they face the truth, which is, you know, what we've done, all of our lying, all of our conspiring together has caused Maleficent to be resurrected. Let's cash out now. Let's tell Emma the truth. And they're going to do it until. Yeah. Until. Oh, okay. I was, oh, sorry. I was, I was, uh, I was, I, I lost my place in my script. It's okay. I'll, I'll say it. That's what they, they're going, they're going to tell Emma until they walk in on oh, yeah. having a conversation with hook. Emma says to hook, look, I know you've been, I know you have things that, uh, you're keeping from me and I know you have a history with Ursula. That's okay. That's your business. But what's not okay is you lying to me. And hook says, you know, of course you're right. I haven't been totally forthright with you. And uh, Emma asks, you know, did you break her heart? And he said, worse. And, you know, Emma goes on this riff about how she uh, she didn't uh, she was nervous about him lying to her because uh, she didn't believe her parents earlier in the day when they were telling the truth. And uh, she you know, she knows that the kind of people they are. And of course, this entire time, Snow and Charming are listening at the door absolutely guilting them into not telling her the truth at this point. Yeah, and this is something out of like a TGIF sitcom where like they try to leave and they like bump into something and cause attention to them. Right. I, I, I couldn't tell if they were trying to do that. Or... Oh, I'm sure they I'm sure they weren't. I'm sure they're just clumsy. 
Oh, I, I, I couldn't tell. I thought, I thought, well, maybe they're trying to let them know that they're in the room so that they can say, Oh, hi, you know, we, we're, we're right here. Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, they, they tell, they, they get the information out that Maleficent is resurrected. And, uh, I believe Emma asks them why the Queens of Darkness are specifically going after them. And all Snow can simply reply is because they're villains and we're heroes. I love- I love the musical cues at this point. You know, I love, you know, the one thing about once besides uh, some of the effects and uh, a few of the actors who I particularly have a fondness for the musical cues in once can be awesome when they get it right. And when, you know, there's this, there's a beat before snow says, because they're villains and you hear this, like this down chord of, you know that they just lied to Emma again after they just got done saying we're not gonna we're not gonna lie to her we're gonna tell her the truth and uh, they lied to her again it's so depressing yeah and again I'll say I'm I'm really excited about this because it exp- it exposes the the moral grays between being a hero and being a villain and this is something villainous that the the supposed heroes have been doing so I'm I'm really excited to explore more of this and uh, we we get some more villainous stuff as Snow. Uh, brings Regina to talk in the rain. This is weird, Brent. Second episode in a row that ends with a confrontation in the rain. Uh, I, I know, I know, we have a lot of homages to Lost, but this seems a little too close to home. Uh, but the the current plan right now is to have Regina become the mole and to infiltrate the Queens of Darkness to find out exactly what their plan is. Yes, where is Anderson Cooper? Who is the mole? Yes, exactly. The Did old... you watch that show? Oh, absolutely. I, mean... I love the mole. Please bring it back. Well, okay. it is ABC. Yeah, okay. Well, they just, it's true. They could do it. They could cast it with all the people from Once Upon a Time, and I'm sure that it's either Regina or Gold. <laughs> <laughs> if it's not, they're going to make themselves the mole. It's probably the model. That's It's the model and celebrity mole. That's always go with the model. Anyway, that's that's right. very true. Uh, so what do, you, what do you think about this, Brent? What do you think about this whole idea? And what, we saw the preview for it next time that Regina's going to kind of jump whole hall into this plan. What do you think about the idea of Regina infiltrating the Queens of Darkness and becoming a quote-unquote villain again? This is a terrible idea. I mean, you know, for those of you who don't know, I'm a recovering addict. I've been clean for 10 years. And the last thing you want to do to someone who's just got off of using something that they're not supposed to be using, Regina using dark magic and being evil, is put them right back in that situation with their old pals. I mean, what, what are they thinking at this point? Yeah, and it, I don't know. I would, I would, maybe, maybe from their point of view, the whole Zelina thing uh, really taught them that, like, she has the capacity to do good and she really wants to stay oh, she on does. the side of good. Yes. But I mean, they have more than anybody know that, you know, the, you, you just, you know, we, we didn't even talk about it, but because mainly because it wasn't really all that important, except for one big thing. But you saw in this episode, you know, the old evil queen came to the surface for about two minutes when she was talking to young Pinocchio and she was behaving like season one. Like maybe he just needs a little motivation. Like, yes. yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, I don't think it's a good idea to put her back in a situation where you're setting her up to fail. Yes. Regina may ultimately prove you right and do do right by you, but I don't think it's a good idea. I'm with Emma. You see Emma in the promo saying, you know, I've seen uh, Regina. I've seen this before. This never ends well. Yeah, that's I mean, I don't, I don't want to spoil next week too much. But it's oh, you don't talk about the promo? I, that's right. Oh, that- no, 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 no. It's fine. I want to just traipse it a little well, bit. I mean, I mean I, you don't even need the promo for that. I mean, I can just talk my own, my own experiences. For this never, when you put somebody back in their old situation with their old friends and their old ways, it never ends well. 
Yeah. And I'd be intrigued to see, maybe next week we'll get a little bit of a flashback of like Regina with the Queens of Darkness in the Enchanted Forest. Because I could kind of imagine them as a gang as well, considering well, how close her and Maleficent were. Exactly. Well, the thing was, the, the, the producers have said that we're going to get to see when Regina and Maleficent became friends. So I am really looking forward to that. I hope, I hope it was at summer camp. Yeah, that would be that would be that would be good or, or evil camp. Evil, evil summer camp. Yes. Uh, so, yeah. So, so this is uh, I, I, this is again this the speech that you you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast is is kind of mentioned over the course of these montage of scenes that we'll we'll get into. Uh, and it's but it seems like uh, as much hesitation as Regina showed, uh, it seems like she's on board. I I personally think that the the caveat, the linchpin in her argument was that she brought up Henry. Uh, and I, I do like the parallels between Emma and Henry, which we, we haven't we didn't see too much of as of recent. So I I always enjoy that fact that's brought up of like the parallels between uh, Emma and Henry in terms of the, they they both show potential for different things. Like Emma is, has the, apparently the potential for pure evil, and Henry has the heart of the truest believer. So I love that like these are the the different products of of true love, uh, but they are both kind of uh, ticking time bombs, if you will. Right. I, I understand from the producer's point of view and from the writer's point of view why they're doing this to Regina, because to be honest, she doesn't have a lot to do up until this point. No, she especially really, now that Robin Hood's gone. Yeah, exactly. She doesn't have much to do. I mean, it's all about the Queens of Darkness, Rumpel, Emma and the Charmings who didn't have anything to do last uh, part of the season. So giving this episode to uh, Lana Perea is not a bad idea on the, in the grand scheme of things, considering in, in, the, in the eyes of many fans, she is the heart of the show and in my eyes as well. So, I, yeah, I mean, you put it perfectly. We, we haven't seen a lot of Regina and she has had a lot to do uh, this storyline. But, well, let's let's uh, let's focus on her for the next few minutes. Let's give her since she's the heart of the show. Let's let's beat on that heart. And let's talk a little bit about what Regina does this episode and some stuff we find out about the author. Uh, so, you know, it's Operation Mongoose is under, is in effect. It's slow moving. It's slow, it's slow going though, in spite of all the chocolate frosted donuts that, that may be, uh, flowing into the stomachs. Mike, I'm sorry, I must take 10 seconds. What was with that line? Can someone please explain that to me? Mom, it needs to be chocolate frosted donuts, not chocolate donuts. I I mean, I think Henry. Really? (laughs) I'll be honest, I think, I think Henry's a secret fatty. Between that and the Cinnabon that he loves, I like... The weirdest line I've ever heard on a show <laughs> didn't relate to the plot at all. Just was a total throwaway line. It made me think that Jared Gilmore, who plays Henry, must have some pull with the producers. I need at least five lines a week. That, that, that keeps me happy. Could you imagine if he pulls the director aside like, okay, I was thinking in this scene. Uh, Henry could get really fixated on the donuts. Right, uh, right. It's so just, bizarre. What, what is this? Move it's, up. It's, it's Jared Gilmore's method. You know, whatever he says goes. He's like the Edward Norton of Once Upon a Time. Yeah. Uh, so in Regina kind of, she brings up an interesting thing that her happy ending, or at least the happiness, the happiest she was ever, was when it was her, Robin Hood, Henry, and Roland. Uh, which seemed to be for like what, like five minutes last last story arc. Well, I don't think we saw too much of the four of them together. Yeah, I loved I loved Regina in this moment. She said that feeling was the closest I've ever been to real happiness. And then there's a beat, and she says, "I want to get back to that." And you can really feel it that she does. She wants to get back to that. She misses that. So there's a really nice throwback here to season one, 
where uh, Henry's looking through the book and, and Regina notices that the paper is a little bit different. And, and Henry reminds her and sort or tells her and sort of reminds the audience that back in season one, when August was trying to get Emma to believe uh, in the legend of Storybrooke in general, he uh, kind of t- not necessarily took apart the book, but kind of weaved his own pages into the story so that Emma could read through them and understand that this, this was for real. Um, and so I thought this was a, I thought this was a good, a good thing on paper, ha ha, um, on paper to tie to tie it back to this uh, storyline. Not so good in theory because we had to see the return of that not so good child actor who played Pinocchio once upon a time. Yeah, I could have really done without this scene. I really feel like they could have like just totally skipped the whole thing. First of all, let me just say the the scene with Regina, you know, sort of screaming at the kid. That was so out of character for her thing that she's been the past season. I mean, boy, I I really thought that was, I'm just going to call it what it is. It's weak writing. It's lazy writing. I mean, there's no reason for her to behave like that. I know she's desperate to find the author. I know the search is slow going, but I think most of the fans would agree with me on it. There's just no reason for her to act like that at this point. She's not that person anymore. I know she owns up to it at the end when she talks to Marco, but I feel like the, if, if you really knew this person and she had grown this much, I don't feel like she would ever have acted like that in the first place. Not to mention that the situation wasn't nearly as extreme. This wasn't like the key right. thing that would unlock the identity of the author. If they had gone so far like along their, their journey along this storyline and this was the one key moment and it completely fell apart, I think that frustration would make more sense. But this is something of Henry being like, well, I guess we could ask Pinocchio. I don't know. He might know something. So I don't think, I think it's uncharacteristic of Regina to like put all her hopes and dreams into this one meeting right. and to have it fall apart. Yeah, exactly. I agree. I agree with you totally. I don't understand. The stakes weren't very large at this point. There was no, no reason for Regina to act like that. Um, so, you know, uh, Marco says, you know, stay the hell. I don't know if he said stay the hell away from my boy. <laughs> Everyone's something cursing like on once upon a time. This he week. might have, I don't know, but he said, stay away from my boy. Um, and Regina, of course, uh, I don't. Are we going to go to the to the next part where she she confronts him and says, you know, I'm sorry? Or yeah, uh, the one thing I will say is that so Emma comes in and, and kind of uh, Regina brings her in to try to help Pinocchio jog Pinocchio's memory. Oh right, right I had right. forgotten. Brett, did did Emma and August sleep together in season one? No, they okay. were more like brother and sister. Okay, because I had remembered, for some reason, I had thought that they had. And I was like, this is extremely awkward for a variety of reasons. Right. I, I think that uh, I, I can't remember if there were ever any romantic entanglements between them. I think that at one point, if I'm remembering correctly, I'm sure somebody's going to call me on it if I'm wrong. I think at one point, August says, let me buy you a drink. And, she, and Emma refuses and says, you know, I'll buy my own or something like that. Um, so they, and they sit and talk at granny's. I think the audience at that point, not knowing, we don't know anything at that point. That's like season one. Um, we think that, oh, this is a potential love interest for, uh, Emma. Little do we know that August is actually Pinocchio. Okay. All right. I just, I'll get my mind out of the gutter then. Um, I'm, I'm relieved to hear that. Uh, so yeah, but we can move, we can move on. Uh, Regina goes to Geppetto slash Marco in his garage. And I mean, uh, good, good on the actor who played Geppetto that he got, I'm assuming he got a little bit of cash to, to come on and reprise his role for the first time in two seasons. 
Yeah, Tony Amendola. I've actually watched him before. He he guest starred on a show I watched called Charmed, um, and uh, I really I like his work, and I really like what he does with Marco. He always feels very sincere. The accent doesn't slip because um, he's not really Italian, and um, he uh, he does a good job. So I I. I I could. There are people in Storybrooke that I could see less than uh, Marco. I, I like seeing it. Yeah, I'd I enjoy seeing it. It just kind of, again, kind of stinks that his story is now directly tied into Pinocchio. So that most likely, if we see him, we are going to see the uh, the child yeah. actor who must not be named. Yeah, there, there's that. <laughs> but Geppetto is. Uh, I guess she caught him on a good day because as she goes to apologize, he says, "Well, I've actually kind of kept all of August's things." In the, in the happenstance that he remembers who he is, and he kind of just hands her uh, his the August's mess August's messen- the messenger bag. Um, I I'm not sure why why he never looked through it before. Uh, you would think that's like some one of the first things you would do to kind of see if you want to jog someone's memory. You would just kind of check through the contents of their bag. But eh, whatever. It's Regina's to look through now. Right, and uh, so uh, inside the bag, we find something that's pretty remarkable, actually. Yeah, so this is part of that last montage, which we can talk about a little bit. Uh, so Henry's looking through, the, he emptied out the contents of, of August's message bag, messenger bag. It's a weird word for me to say, apparently, right. today. Um, and he finds a picture on, on paper, much like the ones in the book, that has a, a picture of a, a red door with a sticky note that says author next to it. Now, Brent, I know you uh, did a little bit of sleuthing and you found something interesting about where this door might connect to. Right. I am 99% sure that this door is one of the many doors that we saw in the uh, portal accessed through Jefferson's hat. Uh, in season one, um, the episode with the Mad Hatter, who the, the name of the episode is eluding me at this point. I'm sure it'll come to me. Um, it, uh, Regina and Jefferson walk through a room that has about 17, 18, maybe more. We don't see the entire room doors. And each one of those doors is a door to a different room. And one of those doors obviously was a door to Wonderland. And you can obviously see the door to Oz on the side. And I think there's a door to Fantasia maybe somewhere. So I don't know what other doors there are. I do know that the door in the picture looks – and the here's the other thing. The floor in the picture of the door looks strikingly like that room from Jefferson's hat. Interesting. I, I could – I I you know, after viewing the screenshot, I can definitely agree with you. What – what do you think the context is then? And who do you think, I mean, if August, August couldn't have found, couldn't have sketched that page since obviously he wasn't, you know, he was a young boy. I don't think he ever journeyed through the portal of the hat to get to those doors. So I wonder who made that page in general. I can't remember. Did August? August just went through the tree and the tree just went into the real world. You're right. You're right. I'm thinking about uh, 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 Dr. Whale, uh, the, you know, uh, the, the doctor. And uh, and uh, when he came to the black and white world with Rumpel, wasn't there another guy with him? Uh, I, Hook. Yes. Oh, yes. Well, I, I, I guess. But I, it wasn't it wasn't uh, it wasn't August. I'm sorry. I'm off. Yeah. So I guess, I I guess we'll, we'll, we'll find that out soon. That's that's an interesting revelation. And I wonder if we're going to see a lot more Easter eggs tied to that. It'll be like the uh, the blast door map from Lost in terms of possibility of easter eggs but let's let's get to this next scene in the montage and this is the one that uh again is probably the biggest bombshell of the episode so gold is watch gold is watching bell in the pawn shop 
from afar and she's just kind of tidying up. He thinks that she's alone. He's pining after her when who should step into frame and kiss her but Will Scarlet. The Knave of Hearts kissing Belle. I mean, that is... And, and I went back and looked at it because I thought, oh, well, maybe it was just a... Maybe it was sort of a hug, peck kind of thing that a friend would do, you know, somebody you haven't seen in a while or a brother-sister kind of relationship. But it was romantic, man. I mean, they were... That was a real smooch. Now, I love Belle, and I love Rumpelstiltskin, and I, wanna, I, I do want to see them together, but, I mean, I... I kind of have to throw some shade at Belle here. It's been six weeks. It's been a month and a half since you forced your husband out of your life and you are hooking up with the first young hot guy in town you see. I'm sorry, well, Belle. I'm, ca- I'm casting the stone here. I, I can't blame her. Michael Socha is, is uh, pretty, pretty attractive. But uh, I, I really I, I don't blame her at this point. She thinks... All she knows, she sent Rumple away outside of Storybrooke. He doesn't have his magic. There's, for, from her perspective, there's no way to get back in. She doesn't know he's here. Uh, so she's trying to move on with her life. She went through a lot of pain uh, being with Rumpelstiltskin. She almost went down a dark path. She didn't like who she was when she was with him. So uh, I, 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 I don't have to throw as much shade. I, I think it's a good idea for her to move on. The thing from... The audience's perspective is we got no clue, save for those two coffee cups, that this was coming. And I listen to a lot of you know <clears throat> episode titles and listen to a lot of things that the producers say, and I had no bloody clue that this was coming. No, and I don't think anybody did, considering that this was also the first episode that we had seen Will Scarlet say like a line in probably four or five episodes uh, since right. like halfway through the last story arc. I mean, I, I did say that one of my one of my wishes for for, for uh, season four B at the end of the last story arc was that I want to see more Will Scarlet. I don't know if this is the way I want to see it. I don't want to see him get involved in a love triangle. Well, not only that, but for those who didn't watch Wonderland, he has a relationship with uh, the Red Queen, Anastasia. So, and, and, and at the end, they were happily ever after. So, what happened? Apparently, not happily enough. Uh, they really, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a little miffed at the producers for not answering that question sooner. I mean, we're what on episode 14 at this point. Is that what it is? Uh, yeah, it's like, it's like 14. Technically, I think it's 13 in the production order. Okay. Episode 13, 14. He's been on the entire season and we don't know what happened with him and Anastasia for those people who watched Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. And the producers have said, this is the same universe. So what happened? Tell us what happened for heaven's sake. Yeah, I, we, we need to find out. Maybe, maybe we'll get a, maybe we'll get a, a Will Scarlet themed episode sometime in the future of this, of this arc. But who knows? I think, I think that's still one of the lingering question that needs to be answered. You can tell at various points to this entire podcast, my voice gets higher and higher. And it's because of my, I am so incredulous at the show at various points. And I love once upon a time. Let me just say that I'm not dumping on it, but I'm just, I'm, I'm, there are things that came, that came out in this episode that I was just like, how in the heck did that happen? Yeah. So the thing that I thought was really well played was Rumpel's reaction to seeing Will and Belle. I mean, he, he, he looked like he almost died at that point. He fell back, back into the shadows. I thought that was a very good uh, metaphor for him. He was, he was standing in the light of the street, but when he saw uh, Belle and Will kiss and that jealousy or rage came over him, he fell back into the darkness. I thought that was well played from the part of the director. <clears throat> yeah, and he kind of he receded 
into the shadows, if you right. will, and not not just the shadows in terms of evil, but the shadows in terms of now he only exists in the shadows of this town. Basically, we've we've only seen him him in the shadows and below ground. So it's clear that like he's kind of like a whisper in the wind, if you will, of like he's there, he's in the walls of the house, but he's not actually in the house at all. Right. And I'm going to give the the show a pass on this. I think there are some people online and even in our message board who have asked. You know, Rumpel's standing out in the middle of the street. He's walking with the Queens of Darkness down the main street, for heaven's sakes. Um, and Bell clearly could have seen him right there. I think that, uh, you know, Rumpel, he could have a glamour spell going. He could have a vanishing spell going. Uh, we've seen that many, 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 many times in Once Upon a Time. So I, I, am, uh, I'm, I don't have a problem with him standing right there for everybody to see. I don't think, I don't think anybody can see him at this point. So one last question before we wrap things up, Brent. So uh, as I talked about before, Maleficent uh, puts her, her uh, what I assume is her baby's rattle together, and it's clear that she's very upset. And I'm sure we'll get more perspective as to Maleficent's child later on. Um, so Jessica Frey had a, an interesting theory that Maleficent's child is actually Sleeping Beauty, and that for one reason or another, she had to give her child up to King Stefan, I guess his name is. Maybe he's back from clubbing. Um, enough to raise a child. Um, do you have any theories about who Malef- who Maleficent's baby daddy is, and uh, if this is a possibly a new character we haven't seen before, or someone who's already in the canon of Once Upon a Time? If I had to guess, and this is not—I don't have any spoilers on this. I don't know anything that anybody else um, um, uh, knows. I, I mean, I only, I only know what everybody else knows who's been watching the show. Is what I'm trying to say. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence that. In Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, the Will Scarlet, the Knave of Hearts, steals an artifact from Maleficent's castle in order to get to Wonderland. So he has had dealings with her before. I think it is a possibility, and I don't know this, I'm just saying it's a possibility, that he is the father of Maleficent's child. Um, I would not put a lot of stock in it being King Stefan. Um, it may be that Aurora is Maleficent's daughter. I, who knows? I don't know. Um, I think they're pretty close in age. Um, I mean, not, not necessarily right now, but you know, when, when Aurora woke up from her sleep, Maleficent seemed to be a peer at that point. So I don't know if they could be mother and daughter. Um, but the good thing about once, you know, I mean, a Peter Pan was... <laughs> Yeah, was, was father. Uh, father. So you never know what, what, what they're doing and what they're playing around with. That'd be, if Will Scarlet was, had a child with Maleficent, this is going to turn into like an episode of Jerry Springer soon. I think it's a possibility. I don't think it's an accident that he's there. I don't think that it's an accident that, that whoever Maleficent's child is may have already been seen in the show. I have my theories about who that person is. Um, so uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I don't want to say too much at this point. So if you listening have any theories about who Maleficent's baby daddy might be, or if you have any thoughts about where this whole Emma's potential for evil storyline is going, or whether you want to talk about whether you like chocolate frosted donuts or chocolate donuts, you have a bunch of ways to contact us. Uh, you can always post a reply on the on the show page with the notes and everything. Uh, you can subscribe to our Once Upon a Time only feed if you haven't as of yet. To do that, go to postshowrecaps.com slash once 
iTunes. And once you're there, uh, please feel free to rate and uh, rate us using the star system and, and leave some some replies as well. Uh, that that helps bolster our rating a little bit to make us a little more prevalent in the Once Upon a Time podcast community at large. But uh, yes. while, while, while you're moving around post-show recaps, don't forget about all the other great coverage that's going on. Better Call Saul, House of Cards, SNL, Seinfeld, Justified. There, there, there's, there are more shows being covered on post-show recaps than there are doors within Jefferson's hat. So you guys have <laughs> a lot of different choices. Now, Brent, thank you for doing this. Uh, we, I, re- I really appreciate you coming on. I, I love your expertise on the show. I love your enthusiasm about the show. Uh, uh, we're, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see Kurt back again next week, but part of my heart will, will long for not having you again. Oh, well, thank you. That's very sweet of you, Mike. Um, I did want to say for people who are out there who are out there listening, who know me or who don't know me, you can find me on Twitter at Brent Wagamott. It's just like my name, B-R-E-N-T-W-O-L-G-A-M-O-T-T. You can also find me more on Facebook. I reply to a lot of the messages from Rob has a podcast uh, community and Rob has awesome patrons. Um, and I have a Twitter hashtag for people who have made it this far. It's Regina's line at the end. Fish sticks and pound puppy. Almost, we're just going to make it hashtag fish sticks if you made it this far in the, in, in the podcast. All right. Well, do you, do you want to go with wait, wait, fish sticks seems like a generic one. Can we go with hashtag pound puppy? If you want. I, I enjoy it. I, I love I love the pound puppy's nickname. It's like a Sawyer-esque nickname. As always, you can reach out to me at a Mike Bloom type. Let me, let me know what you uh, thought about this episode. Thank you guys so much for listening again. Uh, again, use hashtag pound puppy if you've made it this far and uh, remember if you're driving in Storybrooke you can be pulled over for any reason if somebody believes that you have stolen from the pawn shop take care everyone bye bye